Uh, we want to get right into the study today of God's Word, and we are picking up where Mark has left us, uh, temporarily albeit. He'll be back next week, as Brent said, with the minor prophets, and let's go ahead and take Amos off the shelf. You have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn there. I'll have some of it on the screen, we'll have some on the IPVO, but we'll get into this together. We want to take another look today at Amos, and particularly, we want to look at chapter 5 and a little bit of chapter 6, and then Pastor Mark, Mark our teacher, our rabbi, will pick it up from there next week. Chapter 6, and today, just to give us a bit of a roadmap, uh, I hope we can look at three questions that I think jump off the pages of chapters 5 and 6. Three questions. First question is, is what time is it? What time is it? It's good to know what time it is. It's always good to know. And I don't just mean that in the 9 a.m. meaning. I mean it in the larger these days. What time is it? And then I want us to ask the question, what do we do in times like these? And thirdly, we're going to ask the question, what if we don't? So what time is it? What do we do? And what if we don't? Let's start with what time is it? And in the text, Amos today, chapter 5, we want to ask that question. What time is it in the text? Do you know context or with text, we are always very careful, want to be very particular, want to be diligent to understand what's going on in and around the text. If you ever find a little verse and you love that little verse and you lift that little verse out and use it any way you want, you'll probably use it wrongly at some level or at some point. So it's always important to understand what verse means by understanding what it meant. What was going on then? What was the context of the text? And I want us to look into that today. And in Amos's time, you've already got a bit of a background. As we jump into this text, you'll know in chapter 5, verse 1, something about the days and the times of Amos the prophet. Hear this word that I take up over you in lamentation, O house of Israel. So this is the pronouncement of prophecy. This is Amos's word to the people, or let me restate that, the word of God through Amos to the people. Now, which people is Amos speaking to? Do you know? Have you been in class? He's speaking to Israel. And in this case, we have to be a little more specific because Israel is the northern kingdom. After the kingdom divided, after King Solomon, north and south. North is Israel. South is class. Excellent. Judah, you have an excellent teacher, don't you? Judah is the southern kingdom. Now, Amos is coming up from the south, so he's a redneck, sorry. Uh, like, like some of us, he's, he's coming up from the south and he's speaking prophet, prophetic words to Israel in the northern kingdom. This is the word of the Lord, he says. And he takes up a lamentation over the house of Israel, the northern kingdom in specific. So we know something about the time, not just from that particular scripture, but also from what we've already learned from the book of Amos and from the first four chapters. We know that this is a day and time in both the northern and the southern kingdom both Israel and Judah, a time of peace and a time of prosperity. They're doing pretty good. In fact, it's fair to say they're doing about as good as they've ever done since Solomon sat on the throne of Israel. That's really, really good. I mean, it's a peaceful time because Uzziah in the south and Jeroboam the second in the north kept things pretty consistent. It's a time of stability, political stability, economic stability, so the people are doing pretty well. When Amos gives these words of the Lord to the people. They're okay. In fact, some of them are better than okay. Some of them are doing really, really good. Because it's a time of peace and prosperity, of stability throughout both kingdoms. 
And along comes this little farmer from the south with some pretty challenging words because it sounds like from his words, he doesn't see this as a time of celebration, a time of partying, a time of just really enjoying the fruit of our labors and really celebrating all of our accomplishments. He doesn't really see things that way, or at least that's not how he says what he sees, because look again at the verse, and let me highlight the word for you. I take up over you a what? A lamentation. So this isn't a birthday song. This isn't a happy you song. This isn't an aren't we great song. This isn't a congratulations for all your success song. This is a funeral song. Do you know what a lamentation is? To lament. It's sorrow and sadness. It's bitterness. It comes from deep inside the soul and pours out over us. So it sounds like by the choice of words that Amos speaking in a time of relative peace and prosperity, of stability, a time to celebrate. He uses words that sound a little bit more like you'd say when you're at a funeral. He's using funeral-type language here. It's a dirge. Like what he sees doesn't make him happy or give him reason or cause to celebrate. He sees a reason to sorrow, to weep, to mourn, to wail, to sing really sad funeral songs. And there's good reason for that because you know also in the context what's going on in Israel and in Judah. Because while it is a time of relative peace and prosperity, it's also a time of idolatry. It's also a time of chasing after other gods and forgetting the God of all gods, the only God that is, Yahweh. It's a time of injustice, not justice. Social injustice in particular. In fact, Amos is sometimes referred to as the prophet of social justice. It's why we'll see later in the chapter 6 text a quote from Amos that Dr. Martin Luther King used during his I Have a Dream speech. He identified with Amos because of his commitment to social justice. But that's not what Amos sees in Israel at the time of his writing. No, when he's prophesying, he's seeing a lot of inequity and social injustice, and it makes him sad. What he sees is not a reason or cause to celebrate. It's a reason to go to the funeral. It's a time, in other words, as you might say, for Israel to prepare for its own funeral. For its own burial, if that. Listen to how he says it, verse 2. Fallen is virgin Israel, never to rise again, deserted in her own land, with no one to lift her up. Listen to verse 3. This is what the sovereign Lord says to Israel. Who's God? Who's sovereign Lord? Israel's. So what Amos is saying is, is your God is saying this. Your city that marches out a thousand well, that's a reason to celebrate. If you, if you have a city with a thousand strong warriors could march out in defense of your city, you're in good shape. You can rest easy. You can take your ease. Except that the prophet says your city will be left with only a hundred. And not just the big cities, the small towns. Your small town that marches out a hundred, which would have been strong for a small town, a hundred warriors ready to go into battle, ready to defend your prosperity and to keep your peace. A hundred will just be ten. So what God is saying is, I'm going to depopulate your cities and your towns. Let the morning begin. Party's over. It's time 
to gather at the cemetery and reflect on all that's lost and to express sadness and deep feelings of remorse over the opportunities that have been lost. I mean, think about how sad this story really is. This is Israel. These are the people of God. These are the children of Abraham. They're the ones that were given the laws of God through Moses, the prophet. These are the ones that came in and surrounded Jericho and watched the walls fall down. This is the people of God who were given this land in its entirety. And not only the land, but the rights to possess it and the angels of God to drive out their enemies from before them. This is the people of God who were given a special place to convene, to meet with God where God would be with them and they would be His people and He would be their God. Who said, if you will live according to my rules and according to my laws, I will live with you and fellowship with you and I will bless you in abundance, in superabundance. In fact, the nations of the earth will stand in awe and wonder at you, not because of you, but because of me. This is the same people that now the prophet of the Lord says, thus saith the Lord, I'm about to undo it all. I'm about to take it all away. What I gave you, I'm going to take back. Where I placed you, I'm going to remove you. Where I planted you, I'm going to uproot you. Do you see why the prophet's not singing a celebrative song, but a dirge? You see why he doesn't see this as a party, but more as a funeral? Because all of the blessings of God, the peace and the prosperity, the joy, the very presence of God is about to evaporate from the people of God because the people of God have drifted away from God. And there is judgment to come. So what time is it in the text? Well, it's time to stop the party and to reflect and to realize where we are and how we've come and what to do next. But before we move on to that what to do, I thought we should probably also just take just a moment and answer the question, what time is it in our own time? What time is it? Now, I don't mean 9.46 and 45 seconds. Sorry, 48. I, I mean 40. Hold on, 50. Wait, it's 9.46, 53, 4. We'd have to do that second by second, wouldn't we? And if we had a better watch than mine, <clears throat> we could do it by tenths or hundredths of a second. You know why? Because time is moving, isn't it? It's, it's now no longer 946. It's now 947. And if you give me 50 seconds, I'll tell you it's 948. Because time is marching on. And God is working in time to accomplish His kingdom purposes in eternity. God has a plan. He's working out that plan in our time. And as much as we might want to settle in and think, this is it, oh boy, this isn't it. Because as soon as you said, this is it, it isn't it anymore, is it? It's a was. Because time is moving, and God is working, and He is fulfilling His kingdom, plans and purposes on earth, in our lives, and through us, in the world around us. This is a reality. You should never forget this. That we aren't here for this moment that no longer is this moment. As soon as I said it, it was past. But we are a part of something much bigger than ourselves. 
we're on a continuum, as it were, as time moves along on this flat plane of time and space and the concreteness of our existence. But all around us is eternity and a God who is working us through time and moving us through time towards His purposes and to fulfill His plans and purposes. We're a part of that purpose. We're a part of that plan. Which means no matter where we are on the continuum of time and space, we must remember never settle in, never dig in, never fold the hands, never adopt an attitude or a mindset of complacency, never come to ourselves and say, Woohoo, we've made it. Because as soon as you say, I've made it, it's not it anymore. It's already passed you by. It seems like Israel in their time had found this really good place in time and space and said, oh boy, finally I've got mine. Finally we have ours. Finally we've arrived. And not realizing the plan and purposes of God are continuing to move forward. God is continuing to work out those plans and purposes. They said, yep, thanks, appreciate you dropping us off here. We'll just hang out here and stay a while. But if they'd looked carefully, they would have seen the corruption begin to bubble up from within. They would have seen the idolatry. If they'd looked closely, they would have seen that what they have had cancer and was beginning to spoil. So what time is it in our time? Well, here we are. (laughs) And I'd love to tell you that God has this marvelous, wonderful plan for your life and all you have to do is just put it in drive and just ease on or... Or maybe just walk your... I mean, look, it's beautiful picture. Can you just imagine your walk home looking like this? Wouldn't that be great? You just walk. But unfortunately, in time, there are troubles. There are difficulties. There are challenges. And sometimes we don't see those coming. We want to settle for this road when, in fact, there are warning signs posted that foul weather is ahead difficulties, maybe more corruption. In fact, maybe already now in our treasure, something is beginning to take root. Maybe now in in our comfort and complacency, there is something that has taken root and soon to produce the fruit of corruption. Maybe this great nation of ours, can I be so bold as to say maybe in our time, in our space and in our place. Maybe already the things of our undoing are doing their things. Maybe. It's important to stop once in a while and look around and say, what time is it? What's going on? What's the real reality? What's happening in my life? What's happening in my world? What's happening in my family? What's happening in my place of employment? What's happening in my school? What's happening in my church? Where are we on this march toward home? And what is God doing? And am I where I'm supposed to be? And all along the way, there are those decisions that we have to make about how we're going to live in the last days before God's judgment falls. Because I don't know about you, but I've read the back of the book And I have a pretty good idea, although don't ask me to be specific, how this is all going to work out. I have people that, I don't know, do I say, I don't think I have a sign or anything about my normal expression that says, please complain about the world to me. 
Do you see anything on me that says, please come and complain about the world to me? Tell me how bad things are. Tell me how bad you think things are. Tell me how you've come to the conclusion that by a certain date on a certain time, it's all going to be done because of the... I don't know what about me that says, please come and tell me. But for some reason, people come to me and they say, boy, things are bad. Some of them will say, in my lifetime, I don't think it's ever been this bad. Now, the truth is, that may be the truth. I don't know. I haven't lived their lifetime. I don't think it's as bad as it ever was. I get that sometimes. It's never been worse than it is now. Don't tell um, Noah that. (laughs) Right? Don't tell uh, Lot that. That was a pretty bad time. How people say, oh, I've never seen, our nation's never been this divided. Um, have you ever heard of the Civil War? I mean, there's been some bad times, and let me make you a promise, there are going to be some worse times. Usually the thing I like to do, because it's not what people want to hear when they come and complain about how bad things are. And, oh, Fleming, don't you know how bad things are? I said, well, if it makes you feel any better, it's going to get a lot worse. <laughs> what? I'm telling you, I've read the book. The book of Revelation, you know what's revealed in the book of Revelation? Judgment. Wrath. Catastrophe. Listen. It's go- I'm just here to ruin your day. If you think it's supposed to end like this, I'm going to ruin your day. You think this is as bad as it's ever been and can only get better from here? You're wrong. I'm here to ruin your day. It's going to get worse before it gets better. (laughs) Now, have hope because the end of the book, it does look a lot like this beautiful picture. It really does. I mean, we're with God. God's with us. We're in his presence. He's he's our God. We're his people. It's wonderful. No tears. No sorrow, no sadness, no funerals. I'm telling you, there's a wonderful space ahead of us, but we have to walk wisely through the turbulent times that are ahead of us or all around us. We have to make wise decisions. We have to choose to live godly lives. We have to be faithful to the God who made us and has called us. To the God who saved us and positioned us. To the God who has gifted us and equipped us. To the God who has commissioned and commanded us. To the God who infills us and empowers us. We've got to walk faithfully with God through whatever times lay ahead. No matter how good, don't be complacent. No matter how bad, don't be fearful. Because we're on this timeline toward eternity And God is moving and God is working. In the midst of the times, we've got to be faithful to God. There's a sense in which Amos is saying just that to the question, what will we do? If it's time for God's judgment to fall, what do we do? What do the faithful do? What will the remnant do? What do we do? Let's answer the question. Verse 4, this is what the Lord says to Israel. Seek me. And live. He says, I'm about to depopulate your cities. I'm about to remove this complacent abundance. I'm about to take away what I've given you. But if you seek me, you'll live. Seek me and live. So let's put that, really, it's a two part plan. This is just the first part. The first part is to seek God. And let me say it both ways seek God, seek 
God. Because to seek God means to actively engage in the search for God. It means to be diligent. It means to investigate. It means to look around, to understand, to identify, to, to, uh, to really get into. Seek God. And seek God not as if he's lost. You know, he's not, God is not lost. Aren't you glad? <laughs> I've already ruined your day by telling you it's going to get worse before it gets better. But here's the good news if you need it. God's not lost. When Amos says, seek God, it's not as if God's lost or it's God's hiding from us. No, 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 no. God is not hiding from us. It's not that he doesn't want to be found. It'd be kind of weird of God to say, seek me, I'm going to hide. Now that's something my little grandson does, we love, but it's not something God does. He doesn't say, seek me because I'm hiding from you or because I'm lost. It's like in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve fell into sin, rebellion against God, they disobeyed his commandment and they forfeited all of the blessings that were provided for them because of their lack of faithfulness to the God who provided it. And God comes in the garden. Do you remember how the verse goes? God walked in the garden as was his custom. I love that phrase, as was his custom. And he called out to Adam, Adam, where are you? Now, you don't think God needed the answer to the question, do you? Adam did. God knew exactly that Adam and Eve were hiding over there behind some fig leaves in the bush, hoping the God who created the bush wouldn't know they were hiding behind the bush. It wasn't a question for his benefit. It was a question for theirs. And this commandment, seek me and live, isn't a commandment for God's benefit because he's lost or some game that he's playing because he's hiding. It's for our understanding and for our benefit to know who God is and where God is. And to passionately and intentionally seek after him. See, he hasn't left Israel in the time of this judgment. He's just getting ready to step back and say, you want to have it your way? Go right ahead. And here are the consequences of having it your way. Seek me, he says, not because he's hiding from us. He's out in the open. In fact, he's calling for us. He wants us to find him as it were so that we can know him and understand him. In fact, it's fair to say, it's true to say that God is seeking me a whole lot more than I'm seeking God on my best day. God is a seeker. We saw that in Genesis. Where are you? God is looking for the sinner. Why did Jesus come to seek and to save that which is lost? You know why God didn't sit up in heaven and say, well, here I am, catch me if you can. Here I am, find me if you will. You know why I didn't say that? That would have been an impossible thing for us to do. We'd never have gotten to God on our own. God had to come after us. God is the seeker. Jesus came to seek and to save. So this commandment, this action statement, this first part of God's plan, seek God and live, is a really important thing to understand as a commandment and a commission for us. Seek God. The word could really in this context mean turn or return or come back to God. So that you can be aware again of the presence of God, who He is, what He's up to, what He's expecting, what His commandments are, what His blessings are. 
come back to God. You've forgotten him. You've gotten over him. You've moved past him. You've become dull to hearing him. Your heart is no longer receptive to him. You're not aware of what he's doing, so you can't get in on what he's doing. And you're not being faithful to his commandments. You're doing what he said don't do. You're not doing what he said to do. But when you open your eyes and you realize, oh God, there you are, suddenly there's that fresh and powerful reminder of the very presence of God, of who he is, and of all he's called us to do. I mentioned Fletcher, that's the, the grandson. The, the, the game that we play is Where's Fletcher? I know, you thinking Where's Waldo, but you don't name your grandchild Waldo in these times. Fletcher. Where's Fletcher? And you know how to play this game. You say, Where's Fletcher? And he hides. And he's small enough now he can hide just about anywhere, including in the basket. See, you're wondering if I were going to sneak any pictures of the grandchild in. Of course, you didn't have to wonder that. You should have assumed that. That's like hope in the New Testament sense. It's an expectation, okay? So we play Where's Fletcher? And he goes and hides. And and it can be as simple as him just covering his eyes and he's hidden, right? But it's also fun to hand him his little blanket and, and watch what he does. He covers himself in the blanket in plain sight. In the same room, you've had a grandchild, a child, you know how to play this game, right? I mean, there they are in full view. It's later when they go hide under the stairs or, or, or behind, that's later, that's learned. In the initial stages of the game, they, they just cover up and close their eyes. You know why they do that? Because they think if they can't see you, you can't see them. It's a fun game. And then finally he pulls the blanket off and says, here I am, and laughs, and we all laugh, and go, oh, there's Fletcher, it's fun, I wish it would last a long time, I hope it just keeps going. You know, 14 years old, he comes over to see grandma and grandpa, and, and we say, where's Fletcher, and he gets in the height, and I don't think that's probably going to be way too cool by then. But you, you know the game, right, that we play. So we close our eyes. And, and because in this time or in this context or in this situation or in these circumstances or in my complacency or in my sin, I can't see God, so I assume God can't see me. Oh, don't be a two-year-old. God sees and God knows. And when God says, seek me, he's not saying I'm hiding or I'm lost, rescue me. He's saying, hey, you. Get that blanket off your head. Who are you kidding? I can see you. I know right where you are. It's you who's having a hard time seeing me. So seek me and live. Seek me and live. Let's read a little more text here. But don't. And it's important when a prophet gives you a positive command to understand what the positive command is. Seek God and live. But there's also a cautionary note here. In fact, there are two. Let me see if I can cover them very quickly. But do not seek Bethel. Do you know what Bethel means? I bet you do. Bethel, house of God. Do not enter into Gilgal, which was the point of entry into Israel, just a little east of Jericho, or cross over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing. There's a bit of a play on words there. I'm not good enough at all at Hebrew to fully explain that, but I can, I can sort of uh, translate it a bit for you. It'd be like, don't go to Gilgal or to Bethel. Bethel, the house of God, the next word that he uses, this do not enter, uh, because it'll be empty. 
or, or be, the house of God won't be the house of God. It'll be empty. And, and Gilgal is, is a play on words. The way you come in will be the way you go out. Don't go, oh, by the way, these are popular places of worship, just like Beersheba. These are popular places of crowd gathering worshipers. These are big places to go for religious events and festivities and activities. So when Amos says, seek the Lord and live, they may flock to one of these popular places of worship where crowds are gathering to seek the Lord, so it would seem. But Amos says, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't go there. Don't go there. Seek the Lord and live, he says. So he says, just to put it on the map, don't seek the Lord in Bethel. Don't seek the Lord in Gilgal. Don't seek the Lord in Beersheba. Because it's not about the place or, or even the people in the place. It's about the person of God. It's who God is. And you've been going to Bethel and to Beersheba and to Gilgal and look where you are. So whatever you found when you went there wasn't the Lord. So don't go there. The traditional box to check the normal practice here is, is not sufficient, Amos is saying. Don't just go through the motions that you've gone through before because here you are. Uh, the point about this particular passage is, is don't go looking for a magical formula. Don't go looking for a special location or the specific address of, of what you think it's going to take to find God because he's much bigger than a place. It's the Lord you need to seek. Seek the Lord. I, I've heard people say, I don't need to go to church. I can find God anywhere. Well, that is true. And, and by the way, I'm not down on the church. Don't, don't misunderstand. I always say to the person who says, I can worship anywhere. That's not the question. Of course you can. That's what worship is. Wherever, anytime, anywhere. But the question is, do you? <laughs> right? I'm a, I can worship on the lake on my bass boat while I'm catching fish. You, you don't. <laughs> you got that raunchy country music playing, right? And other activities uh, and you're not talking about Jesus while you're fishing for that big mouth bass. You're not. You just don't. I mean, going to church most definitely helps people get into a worshipful mindset spirit, gather with the saints of God and the fellowship of the family of God and lifting up songs of worship and prayers and listening to the word of God. All of that's very important. Don't hear me. But, but, but here's the point. You can go to church and get absolutely nothing out of it. I mean, can I just repeat what you've heard? And I hope you'll keep laughing because I'm going to keep telling this forever. Sitting in your garage does not make you an automobile. <laughs> Going to McDonald's does not make you a happy meal. Going to church in and of itself, careful, does not mean you are seeking the Lord. Well, I went to church. Okay, I went to Walgreens. I'm not a prescription. So it's a bit of a cautionary note here to be sure that the object of our search is the person of God, not the things or the places around or even the people of God. All right? Don't, again, it's a tension. It's a balance. I want to be careful. I love the church. I'm going to say that over and over this morning. I love the people of God. I'm going to say that over and over. It's just that neither are an acceptable substitute for God himself. And after all, this is supposed to be about God, not God's place or God's people or God's practices, as we'll see. Let's read a little bit further. 
Why is it so important to seek just the Lord? Amos 5.8. He who made the Pleiades and Orion and turns deep darkness into the morning and darkness the day into night. Who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. Who makes destruction lash forth against the strong. So that destruction comes upon even the fortress as it were. It's, it's like Amos hit pause here and said, now, now listen... If you want to make it through this, you've got to seek God. If you want to live, you've got to seek God. And I don't just mean go through the motions and check the boxes and attend the particular services and be with the right people and make sure you're in the right church. No, no, no. No, you've got to seek God because God is the creator. God is the eternal I am. In fact, he uses the word, the Lord is his name. You know, that formula, it's that four-letter name of God, Yahweh. I am, as revealed to Moses. What it says is more than we can even comprehend as to who God is. And what God is saying in this particular passage is, is look, this, can I just be careful again to say an address that you attend once a week or by today's standards, 66% of the time over the course of a month or a year, which is declining by the way. The address where you check a box two out of three Sundays or even if your attendance is perfect, I go, I'm 100%, I get a certificate, Pastor Jarrett will give me a certificate at the end of the year, I'm 100% attendance, I was here. Every single Sunday does not mean that you came every Sunday seeking the Lord. There are sadly plenty of substitutes or distractions behind any address or at any location. What he's saying here is, is, hey, at the center of all of this, before all of this, during all this, and after all of this, I am. It's an important phrase. It's what Jesus used. Do you remember the, let's get out of Amos and go to Jesus, the book of Jesus. Remember what Jesus said? Before Abraham was, I am. Now, that should mess with your mind a little bit. Because this guy who's wrapped in the skin suit, and standing before his disciples and arguing with Pharisees and dealing with unbelief, struggling with the faithlessness of Israel, Jesus said, hey, can I just hit pause here for just a minute to remind you of who I am? Before Abraham was, I am. It's the eternal I am. See, only God is that eternal, self-existent, pre-existent I am. The Orion and, and the The constellations are there because God made them and put them there. What's he saying? Hey, look, pay attention here. There are lots of low things that can distract you. Plenty of low things that could perhaps substitute. Why do you think Israel fell for idols or statues or carvings? Why? Because they lost sight of the eternal I am and elevated that which is not to the status as if it were possible of the eternal I am. So what God is saying is, is, look, don't make any substitutes. Don't accept any substitutions. I am. I am. And in this plan that God has, this eternal plan and purpose that he is walking us through time and space towards. And that plan doesn't revolve around me. It's not my plan, it's his plan. I'm a part of his plan. God is, can I just say, 
God is not a part of my plan. That's idolatry. I'm a part of God's plan. See, we have to learn somewhere around Fletcher's age and over the next few years how to transition from I am the center of the universe and everything revolves around me to I'm a part of something much bigger than me that I can't even get my mind around, but I know I want to be in peace with, that I want to be a part of. And, and this is just a reminder, a little cautionary note when, when Amos says, seek God and live, but careful not to substitute anything else or anyone else for God. Seek the Lord. That's the key to this phrase. Accept no substitutes because there aren't any. Remember, I mentioned two cautionary notes. Here's the second. We advance a bit. Look at chapter 5, verse 21. You want to get personal. Everybody roll your toes up. Everybody take your you know, feelings off. Just Everybody relax a minute. We'll get through this. I hate, I despise, what? Sinners, evil and corruption? Well, yeah, but that's not what the text says. I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, the best, the best, the best, whoa, look what I brought for God. I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Ooh, ooh. Ooh, I'm glad I'm not in Israel at church. <laughs> I'm glad, I mean, wow, for God to say, knock it off. That stinks. In spite of what your worship leaders always say, uh, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. This noise is not joyful to the Lord. Because it's insincere. It's not authentic. You know what they're doing. They're just checking boxes. They're just going through the motions. They're just entertaining themselves and each other. They've lost sight of the eternal I am for which all of us exist and unto which all of our praise and worship and adoration should be directed. Suddenly it's more important, our preferences. Suddenly it's, it's more important, our opinions. Suddenly it's more important, our plans. Suddenly it's more important, our people or our place. And when we lose sight of the eternal I am in the context of what we're doing, even if what we're doing is lovely in appearance and beautiful to the sound, to the ears, if it's not appealing to the heart of God, it's just stench to God. Now remember I said I love the church and I love this one. You don't doubt that, I hope. I do. And I love the church as a whole, the body of Christ, of course. I, I really... I, I shudder when people criticize the church because, look, I'm just telling you right now, you, you can hurt me in a lot of ways, but if you hurt my wife, you'll get a reaction from me. Right, guys? You know what I mean? Ladies, you're the same way. Don't mess with a man if she's got a woman, if he's got a woman nearby. You know, his wife will come to his defense. We're just wired that way. It's our protective gene. So I don't want to ever mess with the body of Christ or the bride of Christ, right? 
So here what I'm saying, and what I hope is the intent of what I'm saying, is we just need to heed this cautionary note from Amos. That what this is really supposed to be about is God and not us. And if we're going to seek Him, we've got to be sure that we seek Him and live. That's really important than a list of things to do or things that we think should be done the way we think they should be done. I tell you what, it may be a better way to do this so it won't be quite so personal for me to you, is share a few passages of Scripture that are troubling to me. I think they serve as cautions. Mark 7, 6. And he said to them, them being the Pharisees, the pretty much most religious people of their day, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it's written, these people honors me. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. That's troubling to me. This one's really troubling to me. Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Does that trouble you? I'm telling you, it should. It's troubling that anyone could hang around and go through the motions and even do the works, but in a way that isn't pleasing to God and in a way that is separated from God and in a way that doesn't lead us to the knowledge of who God is. It's troubling to me. It really is. One of my favorite passages is Colossians 2. Therefore, let no one judge you by what you eat or drink with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are not bad things. None of those are bad things. They're religious observances. They're rituals. They're routines. In and of themselves, none of those are bad things. God gave many of those things to the people of Israel to practice. So, right? Don't misunderstand. When it becomes a bad thing is when it becomes a substitute for the main thing. Are you with me? When it becomes a bad thing is when it becomes an idol. When it becomes something that we diminish so that we can control. When it's a bad thing is when it causes us to think that that's all there is and that that shadow isn't... A, isn't alerting us to the fact that there is some substance to this. There's something real to this. I'm afraid if these verses are troubling, it's because we have an innate ability to settle for the shadows of our religion where it's safer. Because we can control ritual and routine. We can manipulate our religion to suit our particular preferences or interests or needs or opinions. We can. We are creative. But what we've got to do is remember that everything that God has given us was given to us to reflect Himself. So that we would look not to the things that He has given us as gods, but look to the giver of the things as God. No substitutes, no substitutions, 
There isn't anything else, even those things which God gave us for our good, that are God. Seek the Lord and live. Focus on the substance. Don't get lost in the shadows. Seek the Lord and live. So we've got the first part is seek God. The second part of this commission or this commandment is to seek good. And this is actually the way that we know what they were doing stunk to God. Because they were going through the motions and checking the boxes, observing the practices and the rituals and the routines on a day. It's what they did the other six days of the week that gave them away. <laughs> right? It's not just that they weren't seeking God, it's they weren't seeking good. Listen to how Amos said it. We're in chapter 5, verse 14. Seek good and not evil. So it's a parallel. Seek God and live. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. So these two are tied together. Then the Lord God Almighty, the big guy, that's the Lord God Almighty will be with you just as you say He is, which means He isn't, even though you say He is. Why? Because it's not just your Sunday observances. It's your Monday activities. It's your Tuesday practices. It's what you do on Wednesday. So Amos, remember, the prophet of social justice, brings in very nicely here a, a New Testament doctrine and teaching. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? This is Amos. We're like 8th century B.C., we're in the middle 700s here before Jesus came and they said, Jesus, what's the most important thing? And he said, love God. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. So a reflection or a working out of or a revelation of how we seek God and how we love God and how we feel about God is seen in how we treat others. It's manifest, it's revealed, the fruit is seen in how we treat other people. That's why I think these two are tied together inseparably. Seek God, seek good. They go together. Let's keep reading. We're in Amos 5, now 15. Hate evil and love good. So these two are in stark contrast. Evil you hate, good you love. Establish justice in the gate, the courtroom, the place of equity and fairness, of justice. It may be that the Lord God, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. So there's a stark contrast. Can we just quickly walk through some of the verses in chapter 5 that speak about this good and evil? What's going on here? Oh, you, verse 7 tells us, who turned justice to wormwood. That's a bitter uh, plant. means that you make justice bitter. What ought to be sweet, you've made bitter. And you've cast down righteousness to the earth. To the earth. This is a these words are very similar, and yet there's a nuance here. I've always thought of righteousness as in what it is to be right with God. So you've taken what is right with God and made it wrong. That's not good. They hate him who reproves in the gate, verse 10, and they abhor him who speaks the truth. Now we're in the public square where poor people just can't get a fair shake because they can't pay for justice. And you just don't like anyone who calls you out on it. And you can't stand anybody who speaks the truth if it's not a truth 
you like. That's not good. Therefore, because you trample on the poor, verse 11, and you exact taxes of grain from him. This is selfish gain. This is unfairness. This is an inequity. This is social injustice. These are those with means taking unfair advantage of those without means. Not seeing any of that going on anywhere around, are you? In our time? I thought we'd worked all that out. I thought everybody cared about everybody and everybody had equal justice and everybody had a fair shake and everybody had an equal opportunity. Isn't this America? How old is this nation? Have we at 200 and how many years? Hmm. I guess we're still working on it. Verse 12, for I know how many are your transgressions. I know is a really strong and intimidating word. I, God says, you didn't think anybody saw, I saw. You didn't think anybody knew what you were doing, I know. I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate, that place of justice and equality, that place of fairness. And by the way, the problem with all these expressions of evil is is they do not reflect the character of God who is by nature fair and just and righteous. The only substitute we should ever accept for what is justice is mercy, which is what God has shown us in Christ Jesus. We who are by sin are under the justice and the righteous wrath of God have been given grace and mercy by the love of God through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's an acceptable substitute. Anything less is not acceptable. How we treat each other, and when I say each other, others, I mean from the least to the last and even the lost cause. How we treat each other, others, is a direct reflection of what we think of God in whose image they are made. And we want to be careful, 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 folks. Careful. They were always looking out for the little guy because God loves the little guy. We want to be very careful to protect the dignity and the identity and the personhood of the nobody. Because in God's eyes, there's no such thing as a nobody. May I just say to you and I, Southern Baptist, conservative, evangelical, Bible-believing people of the book, do not thumb your nose or turn your nose up or away from the notion of social justice. Please. God believes in social justice. How we treat each other matters to God. He knows. In so many small ways, you say, well, I hadn't swindled anybody. You know, I'm not a lawyer or judge. I'm not in the court system, so this doesn't apply to me. Look, this applies to all of us everywhere all the time. Anytime there is someone else around us. (laughs) Well, I mean, if you want to go jump in a cave somewhere and be self-existent, you know, just, just you, fine. You don't have to worry at all about how you treat others. You just be ugly to yourself. But when it comes to others, folks, we've got to be very careful how we treat people created in the image of God and that we create them with equity and fairness and justice and that we give to them what God has given to us, love and mercy and kindness. 
That's why I think Martin Luther King, as I mentioned, included this verse in his I Have a Dream speech. August 1963. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. So seek God and seek good. That's what we do. And what if we don't? <laughs> what if we don't see the need or feel the pain or believe the prophet? What if we just keep doing our own thing, making our own decisions for our own selfish gain? What if we just keep ignoring God and calling good evil and evil good? What if we just don't worry about it? There's an answer for that. Amos 6.1. Woe to you who are complacent in Zion. And to you who feel secure on the Mount Samaria, you notable men of the foremost nation, to whom the people of Israel come. Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on the couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall. Woe! Who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp like David inventing for themselves instruments of music. Woe to you who drink wine in bowls. (laughs) You've got so much. You can't drink your wine in a cup or a glass. You need a bowl. You've got so much. Woe. Who anoint themselves with the finest oils but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. I mean, these are people who saw no need to worry, who felt secure in all they had accomplished. Their relative peace and prosperity was their peace and prosperity, and that's all that mattered. Where others didn't have peace nor prosperity didn't matter, and complacency had set in. They saw no need to show compassion or concern. No need to get involved in situations and circumstances where there were inequities or lack of justice. No need. Because they had what they needed. But Amos, as you will see, is singling out people who were living for the pleasure of the moment. And I mean this literally. Incredible beds, couches, amazing food, exquisite wine, marvelous music. Everything smells really good there. They thought they had a good life. They had all they needed. They had all they wanted. They were celebrating their success. And Amos, this southern country boy, comes to town and saying, Hey, y'all need to change clothes because there's a funeral in your future. Because what God has given, God will take away. Let me read it. Therefore, they shall now be the first of those who go into exile. Who? The comfortable ones. Who? The complacent ones. Who? The ones who saw no need for repentance and return. The ones who thought they had it all figured out and had all they needed and forgotten the one that had given it to them. Them. They. Will be the first to go into exile. And the revelry of those who stretch themselves out shall pass away. I told you there was a funeral in the future. The Lord God has sworn by Himself, declares the Lord, the God of hosts. I abhor the pride of Jacob and hate his strongholds and I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. Ultimately, our pride will be our undoing when God takes away what God has given from those who have forgotten the God who gave it to them. Those fail to realize that their relationship with God is revealed in their relationship to others who no longer seek God because they don't need God. 
Why do I need God? Look what I have. Why do I need God? Look what I've accomplished. Who God? What God? Where God? I don't know God. And you? Well, you just exist to make me successful, happy, prosperous, rich. It's that mindset and that attitude that really needs a wake-up call. And Amos is providing that for the people in his time and in his day. And I hope his words today will remind us because he was speaking the truth of what was to come. And in 722 BCE, the Assyrians came down into the northern kingdom of Israel and brought utter destruction and took the people, uprooted the people from their towns and villages, from their cities, from their places, from their worship, from their religion, from their religious practices. They just wiped it out, horrific and complete. And the northern tribes were gone. This is a wake-up call to all of us in our time too. To seek God and to seek good. And to accept no substitutes. And my personal apologies. That this is hard. But I didn't write it. (laughs) And Amos was proclaiming the word of the Lord. The I am, who was and is and will always be. So his word then is our word now. To seek God and to seek good while there's still time on the clock in our time. Will you pray with me? Let me send you off with a blessing. And Lord, when we have to hear and read and study and try to put in our own time and context your word to a rebellious and hard-hearted and ungrateful people. We are only reminded that we are just a breath away from being that ourselves. So, Lord, I pray for us all now and with us all now that we will, above all things, accepting no substitutes, seek you, And seek good in all that we do, wherever we go, that we might live and that we might prosper in the way you mean for us to prosper. And that that prosperity might be a joy and a blessing to give away to all those whose lives we encounter and impact. And so we just affirm this word and receive it to our hearts. And thank you for the blessing that it is, even now as we go into worship, to seek you. And from there, to seek good wherever we go. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.